So Sam, we got a great response to the last episode. That is accurate. Yeah. Thank you, Jewish Internet. Uh, for people who haven't listened to it, it's about the relationship of white Jews and structural power in North America, questions of anti-Semitism, questions of uh, our participation with white supremacy. More people listen than normal, which is one metric of determining its goodness. Not a real substantive one. But anyways. Um, one of the other important determinants of how well received the episode was is that people much smarter than us wrote their thoughts and responses to the episode. And one of those people was Mark Tang Putterman, who has been on the show before for astute Trafe listeners. <laughs> and Mark kind of used the episode as a launching pad to engage with the discussion around anti-Semitism and whiteness in the mainstream and in liberal Jewish circles. And by the time you're listening to this, this essay might be available in essay form, not necessarily just a Twitter essay. If that's the case, we'll include it in the show notes for today. Regardless, we'd highly recommend reading this. Uh, but we asked him on the show to talk a bit about the thoughts that he was writing about here and to share them with us because we felt like they're a natural extension of the conversation we were having last week. So here's our discussion with Mark Singh Putterman. So my name is Mark Tang Putterman, and I am a writer and activist working in the Asian American and Jewish left, primarily in New York City, where I'm based. I am currently a visiting scholar at the Asian Pacific American Institute at New York University. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Mark. Thanks for having me. Um, so just to start off, you wrote this great Twitter essay following up on our, our last episode. It was coming out of this context where there was just a huge amount of articles and discussion going on about this topic. I was sort mm -hmm. of wondering, what are your takeaways about that conversation? Like, what, what are your reflections on the way that conversation has been going? Uh, in general, I appreciate that the conversation is being had, but I felt that a lot of the conversation ironically trying to situate Jews within whiteness has failed to incorporate a solid critique of white supremacy and incorporate a working definition of whiteness. So I feel that in many ways it's been existing in this strange vacuum where predominantly white Jewish commentators and thinkers are trying to make sense of anti-Semitism in the context of white supremacy without really thinking about the founding pillars of settler colonialism and anti-Black racism that inform the structures of white supremacy that we're living in. Another feeling of frustration that's come out of watching this conversation unfold has to do with the continued marginalization of Jewish people of color. I think it's ironic, though not surprising, uh, that this conversation about Jews and whiteness has continued to center white Ashkenazi Jews and left out their perspectives and really the lived expertise of Jewish people of color who have out of necessity and out of personal experience a very different understanding of how anti-Semitism interacts with white supremacy. Yeah, I mean, in the Twitter essay that you wrote, you wrote about how the raised stakes that come out of this moment where there's a rise in white supremacist activity, those raised stakes are more pronounced for Jews of color, Mizrahim and Sephardim. And I guess what I'm asking is what the sites are within Jewish communities that you feel like that reality is being acknowledged and, and the spaces where you feel like it's not. I think that we've 
seen a lot of strides in, in the Jewish liberal and leftist spaces over the past couple of years in understanding that there needs to be meaningful centering of Jewish people of color. And I worry that the renewed visibility of explicit anti-Semitism is potentially going to destabilize that. I, I think there's a very real uh, knee-jerk reaction among white Ashkenazi Jews seeing this platform being given to white nationalists and neo-Nazis to then say that, you know, we're on the targeted list too, and we don't need to function as allies to communities of color anymore or in the same way. We don't have white privilege in ways that I think are really damaging to the limited but substantial progress that has been made in centering Jews of color in the Jewish community and specifically within the Jewish left. And so this ties into the first part of your Twitter essay where you talk about whiteness as not something that happens in a vacuum, but you kind of situate it amongst three pillars. Could you talk about that? Sure. I mean, so what I was really interested in doing is situating whiteness, not only as sort of a social or interpersonal construction, but as a legal construction. In that Twitter thread, I was looking at three different moments in which we see whiteness being codified uh, in U.S. law and using those as sort of case studies to think about where European Jews were being situated. The first instance that I think is worth talking about is within the institution of slavery, and specifically looking at the Virginia Slave Codes of 1705, which was a really significant moment in codifying this legal category of white in opposition to the status of African-descended slaves. Jews and Muslims were prohibited from having white Christian indentured servants, but at the same time, they're included within this larger political category that has the rights of slave ownership. So they are able to own Native American or African-descended slaves. Mm. The second sort of pillar that I was looking at is citizenship, specifically the 1790 Naturalization Act, which limited U.S. citizenship to, quote-unquote, free white persons, and which in 1870 was expanded to grant citizenship to people of African descent. And so in 1922, Takeo Ozawa, and in 1923, Bhagat Singh Sindh, both argue that they should be included within this legal category. Uh, and in both cases, the Supreme Court rules that this category, white person, is meant to indicate only a person of what is popularly known as the Caucasian race. This is a moment in which we see the borders of whiteness being solidified to exclude Asian immigrants. Uh, but in a way that still situates European Jews within that legal category. The last site of legal whiteness that I was looking at, which certainly isn't a comprehensive list, uh, was the institution of marriage and specifically anti-miscegenation laws that were very prevalent throughout the 1800s and early 1900s. Even in this moment of heightened anti-Semitism, these anti-miscegenation laws were not written in a way that would exclude European Jews from intermarrying Christian, white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant folks. And I think it's representative of the way that European Jews have historically and continue to be situated within the legal category of white. 
Another reflection in the piece was that you were talking about how this whole conversation that's been happening seems centered on how to maintain or regain in different cases uh, protected status that some Jews have within white supremacy. And very little of it is actually about confronting white supremacy or dismantling white supremacy. And so like, I want to ask like, what you think that other conversation would look like. Like, What would the conversation focused on confronting white supremacy coming from the Jewish community look like? I think that as scary and volatile a political moment we're in, this unique political moment actually presents some opportunities within the Jewish left to popularize a leftist understanding of anti-Semitism in a way that challenges the Zionist rights monopoly on what is and isn't anti-Semitism. I think the increasingly visible anti-Semitism that we're seeing, both from you know, the so-called alt-right as well as from members of the incoming Trump administration presents a very clear argument for why the Jewish community as a whole, and particularly white Ashkenazi Jews who might not have seen their own personal stakes in the fight against white supremacy to come together with communities of color, uh, with deep partnership and leadership from Jews of color to take on not only the incoming Trump administration, but everything that it represents. I know on the previous episode, you mentioned the James Baldwin essay, um, Negroes are anti-Semitic because they're anti-white. But I've, I've actually been very influenced by reading another Baldwin essay on being white and other lies. And I think that that's really informed a lot of my thinking about sort of the ways that the institutional Jewish community has made choices to uphold whiteness and white supremacy. Baldwin talks about defining white as a moral choice that individuals make. And I think looking at the way that even just in the past month and a half post-election, leaders of the institutional Jewish community have been very hesitant to challenge Trump or to even challenge the appointment of known anti-Semites like Steve Bannon is very indicative of this moral choice to align with whiteness. And so I, I think that perhaps this is a moment where we're seeing a break between the actions of these institutional Jewish leaders and the 76% of American Jewish voters who voted against Trump. And hopefully that's a, a wedge that we can continue to drive. Well, Mark, I feel like that's a pretty good place to leave the conversation. Thanks so much for coming on the show and talking with us. And thank you both for everything that you're doing with the show. Uh, I really enjoy engaging with it. It's a real treat to be able to listen to leftist Jewish commentary while I'm at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, I think we're going to put that in our uh, <laughs> on a book cover that we don't have. Um, Thanks, Mark. So we don't do this all the time, David, but I think that this discussion warrants a little bit of homework. Jewish homework? Uh, let's just call it homework. For white, Euro, Ashkenaz-descended Jews who are listening to this podcast, please go to google.com, type in James Baldwin, On Being White and Other Lies. I believe it was published in Essence Magazine in April 1984. Uh, read it and share it with uh, some of your friends. Yeah, and if anyone's interested, we'll have a link in the show notes. Trafe Podcast is Sam Bick and David Zinman. A huge thanks to CKUT 90.3 FM, where we record this podcast under the shadow of the giant cross of secularism on occupied Ganagahaga territory. 
Thanks as always to Claire Hertig, our Minister of Design, to Kira Page, our social media consultant, to Cadence O'Neill, who made our new website, trayofpodcast.com, to C. Lavery, who made our new poster, and to Sax Syndrome and So-Called for the music you heard in the episode. As well as to Ariana Katz, the new staff rabbi at Trafe. You can follow us on all the social medias, primarily Twitter and Facebook. It's Trafe, T-R-E-Y-F. And I'm talking with David about starting an Instagram account, but that's a different story. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> and uh, if you have any uh, comments, suggestions, hate mail, you send it to trafepodcast at gmail.com. More episodes soon. Yeah.